Have you ever been on a blind date? A blind date is where you go out with someone that you've never met before. Some well-meaning friend or well-paid service pulls the two of you together. You know nothing about the other person, the other person knows nothing about you, and you spend a couple hours learning about each other. Blind dates, they're the stuff of legend, aren't they? Blind dates are fertile soil for horror stories and love stories alike. If you don't believe me, try watching only 15 minutes of the reality show, A Love is Blind. That should be all that you need and probably all that you can stomach. Did you know that the very first blind date in human history is in the Bible? It's true. The very first blind date occurred between Adam and Eve, the first human couple. God set them up. They didn't have to go looking. They didn't have to go on a date. They had no decisions that they had to make. Their marriage was literally a match made in heaven. So is that still the case? Is there only one special person out there for us, made specifically for each of us? Well, actually, that's not what the Bible teaches. The reality is that we live in a world of billions of people providing billions of marital options for us. If we want to get married, it's our job to go out there and to choose someone. Well then, in a world with an incredible amount of options, how do you choose? Over our next few moments together, I'm going to do my best to answer that question as we continue in our marriage series. Today's topic is this, what should a Christ follower look for in a spouse? Now, by the way, if you're watching and you're already married, you might be tempted to think, well, this hasn't, you know, this isn't going to apply to me at all. Listen, don't think that at all. Stay tuned. Stay where you are. Think again. Stick around. Because what we are about to learn can revolutionize every marriage. Trust me on this. Now, while the Bible does teach that you have an abundance of options, there are actually limits to those options as well. While the Bible leaves a lot of room for a person's personal tastes and preferences and likes and dislikes, there are two requirements that every Christ follower must obey if they want to live in obedience to God's design for their life. So what are these two requirements? Well, as your outline says, the first one is this. You need to look for someone of the opposite sex. Now, we've touched on this a lot, so I'm not going to go deep into this th today. But the, remember that passage that Jesus quoted in Matthew 19? Jesus said, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Circle the word male, circle the word female. And the Creator said, for this reason, a man, circle the word man, will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, circle the word wife. And the two will become one flesh. Male, female, man, wife. As I said, we've already touched on this a few times over the last couple of weeks. And during our Summer You Asked For It series as well. So I'm going to be incredibly brief on this first point. I mean, the bottom line is this. God's design for marriage is an exclusive, lifelong, intimate relationship between one man and one woman. So when you're looking for a marriage partner, you need to be looking for one person of the opposite sex. It's a biblical requirement. It's non-negotiable. Okay, another requirement is this. You need to look for someone of the same faith. Responding to questions he had been asked about marriage, the Apostle Paul laid down this principle. He said, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to remarry 
anyone she chooses, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, do you see that? She's free to remarry anyone she chooses. So there's a wide range of options that a woman has when it comes to who she can marry. According to Paul, however, he must belong to the Lord. Now, why is it so important that your marriage partner share in your faith? Well, in a second letter to the same church, Paul came to this principle from another angle. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, what does that mean? He's using an analogy here, a metaphor, an illustration. A yoke was a piece of wood that was tied over the shoulders of two beasts of burden in a farm. So two oxen or perhaps two horse, they'd be linked together so they could pull something together and so they could work together. And the rule was that you did not yoke two unequal animals, meaning you wouldn't put a strong horse with a, with a weak cow or something. That would be unequally yoked, and you would harm those animals. You would harm that weaker animal particularly because it could not pull, pull as quickly or strongly as the stronger one. So you were, it was a rule, do not unequally yoke animals. And the Apostle Paul took this principle and he applied it to relationships. He said, you should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Do not tie a believer and an unbeliever together uh, in an intimate relationship. Now, why is this such a big deal? As your outline says, this is important because who or what you worship is the single most determining predictor of your future. I'm going to say that again. Who or what you worship is the single most determining predictor of your future. The proverb writer put it this way. He said, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. That's why. Now, the heart was the symbol uh, of the center and the source of your will and your intellect and your emotions, the, the core of your priorities in life. That's the heart. So who or what you worship, who or what rules your heart, determines the direction of your life. It determines what you will value in life. It determines how you will live your life. So the proverb writer said, above all else, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. So two people of different faiths tied together are pre-wired for trouble at their very core. Two people of different faiths disagree on the most defining topic of their lives, that being what lies at the center, at the core, at the wellspring of their lives. So the Apostle Paul actually is not being intolerant, he's being wise. He's trying to spare you, your spouse, and your children from a lifetime of regret, of pain, of heartache. Okay, let's do a quick review. What should a Christ follower look for in a spouse? Theologically speaking, there are only two requirements. There are only two non-negotiables. They should be someone who is of the opposite sex and the same faith. Now, having said that, and this is important, just because someone is theologically acceptable, that doesn't necessarily mean they're practically desirable. I'm going to say that again. Just because someone is theologically acceptable, that doesn't necessarily mean they're practically desirable. Just because you can marry someone, that doesn't mean that you're going to want to marry them. Now, what do I mean? Can I be blatantly transparent here, folks? 
I have met many a person with whom I could be married, but with whom I would never want to be married. Meaning, it would be theologically acceptable, but it would be my worst nightmare if it ever took place. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen a couple where you thought, how does that man live with that woman? Or how does that woman ever put up with that man? Winston Churchill is said to have had an ongoing kind of a playful back and forth feud with Lady Nancy Astor. She was the first female member of the British Parliament. They're at a party once, as, as the story goes, and they were chatting together. And uh, Lady Astor said, Winston, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your coffee. And Winston Churchill responded and said, Nancy, if I were your husband, I would drink it. What I'm saying is that what is theologically acceptable is not always practically enjoyable. So here's the question. What would increase the odds of a marriage being enjoyable? What should a Christ follower look for in a spouse? Well, the theological foundation that we've just learned is that they must be of the opposite sex and the same faith. But we can build on that foundation. And based upon over three decades of pastoral and marital counseling, I've noticed a pattern that I think can be helpful in determining the, the proper building materials that you can use or that you might want to look for in a potential spouse. So we've just looked at what is required. Let's take a couple of moments and look at what maybe I'm recommending. First of all, as your outline says, look for a praiseworthy character. Look for a praiseworthy character. Now, what, what do we mean by character? The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 51, speaking to God, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. So character is truth in the inner parts. Now, the way I see it, God looks for this, so we'd be wise to look for it as well. When the prophet Samuel was looking for a new king for Israel to anoint, he saw a tall, handsome, successful-looking man, and he assumed that surely this is the man that God will be choosing. But look what God said to him in 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Folks, character isn't the first thing you see in a person. Character is often one of the last things that you see in a person. The first thing you see is their appearance. The second thing you encounter is their personality. It's only after you get past their appearance and past their personality that you get to interact with their character. Appearance is what you see. Personality is what someone projects. Character is what they do. Do you see the difference? Think of character as a person's core values in action. It's truth in the inner parts. So why is a praiseworthy character so important when it comes to choosing a spouse? Well, let me put it this way. Think with me for a moment. What kind of a person do you want performing your surgery? Do you want someone who cheated their way through medical school? Do you want someone who is known for making excuses and cutting corners? Pardon the pun. Chances are that you want someone who is competent, principal, and dependable holding that scalpel over your body. 
In other words, you want a surgeon who has a praiseworthy character. What kind of a person do you want to buy a vehicle from? Do you want someone who is known to be an habitual liar? Do you want someone who will say whatever it takes to make a buck and make a sale? No, chances are you want someone who is competent, principled, and dependable sitting on the other side of that table in the showroom. In other words, you want to do business with someone who has a praiseworthy character. So what kind of a person do you want for a spouse? What kind of a person do you want to hold up to your children as an example for the rest of their lives? What kind of a person do you want to tie everything that matters in your life to? If you want your surgeon to have a praiseworthy character, if you want your car salesman to have a praiseworthy character, I gotta believe that when, when it comes to the person with whom you're gonna make a life contract, the person with whom you're gonna tie your name and your reputation, the person with whom you're gonna create and build a family, I've gotta believe you want someone who is competent, principled, and dependable. In other words, when it comes to your spouse, you want someone who has a praiseworthy character. All right, so if you're looking for a praiseworthy character, how do you recognize it when you see it? I mean, what should I be looking for? Well, I've given you some examples on your outline today, some things you might wanna look for, some simple tips. First of all, look for a sign of faithfulness in their life, a sign of, look for signs of faithfulness. In other words, do they exhibit the ability to keep their promises? Are they loyal in their business and their social relationships? Do they show up when they say they're going to show up? Do they do what they said they would do? Secondly, look for signs of honesty in their life. Look for signs of honesty. A pastor stood before his congregation. He said, all right, folks, I have some homework for you this coming week. I want everybody to read and study Mark chapter 17, okay? Mark chapter 17, read and study it and get ready for next week. That's your homework. The following Sunday, he stood at the podium and he said, all right, how many folks, as, as I'm about to preach, how many folks uh, did your homework? How many read Mark chapter 17? And a bunch of hands went up in the crowd. He said, okay, put your hands down. Ladies and gentlemen, there are only 16 chapters in Mark. There is no Mark chapter 17. And so today I'm going to speak on the sin of lying. <laughs> Look for signs of honesty in your potential spouse's life. Are they believable in what they say? Or, or do you catch them in all sorts of lies? And do they tend to justify their lies with colors and sizes? Oh, it was just a white lie. Or it was just a little lie. Or maybe do they combine the two? It was just a little white lie. What's their reputation for truth-telling among friends, family, co-workers? All right. Thirdly, look for signs of graciousness in their life. Look for signs of graciousness. Meaning, do they hold grudges against people? Are they quick to condemn people? How well do they resolve conflicts with you and with others? Letter D, look for signs of selflessness in their life. Selflessness. Do your conversations and activities always seem to revolve around them? Do they exhibit the ability to put others and other people first uh, in small and daily decisions in their lives? Sally was asked why she married Tom instead of Bill. And she said, well... When I was with Bill, I thought he was the most charming and delightful person I'd ever met. 
Her friend said, well, if that's what you thought about him, then why did you marry Tom instead? She said, because when I'm with Tom, he makes me feel like I'm the most charming and delightful person that he's ever met. Sally married Tom because she saw evidence of selflessness in his life. It's a sign of a praiseworthy character. Letter E, look at how they handle crises in their life. What do they do when they don't have time to think? What are their knee-jerk reactions? What comes out of their mouth in a moment of stress, in a spontaneous moment of stress? It's often the unexpected and unscripted moments that reveal the most about a person. Letter F, look at the kind of friends that they have accumulated in their life. What kind of friends do they have? Who have they chosen to surround themselves with? What kind of people do they find appealing? All right, let's do another quick review. What should a Christ follower look for in a spouse? So far, we've learned that there are two categories, the required category and the recommended category. Under the required category, we learned that you have to find someone of the opposite sex and of the same faith. Now, when it comes to the recommended category, we just looked at the first recommendation. We said you'd be wise to look for someone with a praiseworthy character. That brings us to a second recommendation I would make. Look for a mutual attraction. Look for a mutual attraction. A woman went to a computer dating service and, and she filled out the preference form. That's the form where you write down what you're looking for in a mate. In her form, she said she didn't care who they set her up with and she especially didn't care how much the other person made. A man came in and, and he uh, told them that he had no interest whatsoever in his date's appearance. Didn't matter to him at all how they looked. So the dating service set these two people up because they had something in common. They were both compulsive liars. I have never yet met a happy couple where there was not a clear and a tangible sense of attraction between the two of them. I have never met a happy couple where both loved God, both were people of integrity, and both were repulsed at the sight of each other. It just doesn't happen. It's not rocket science, folks. Happy couples have a mutual attraction. It's not unspiritual to say, I really want to be attracted to my potential spouse. It's not unspiritual to acknowledge that it's important to you that you be genuinely attracted to the other person. In Song of Songs, or often called Song of Solomon, a very romantic uh, book in the Bible, the writer wrote this, You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. He says, I have an attraction to you that's instantaneous. Now, what kind of attraction are we talking about? Well, first of all, I'm talking about physical attraction. You should enjoy looking at each other. It's not wrong to, to look for a physical attraction. You should enjoy looking at each other. Listen, I can still remember, as I'm standing here right now, I can still remember the first time I laid eyes on Jan, who is now my wife. It was at a, a church basement in Stratford, Ontario. This is the first time I attended this local church youth group. I sat down as all the young people were in a semicircle in chairs. I sat down beside my younger brother and I looked across the room and there sitting across from me, about 15 feet away, 
was the cutest, most beautiful girl I had seen in a long time. She just was looking around other people, talking to other people, and I was infatuated. As soon as I saw her, I thought, wow, look at her. And I tried to get her attention. I tried to flirt, and she ignored me. She ignored me for several weeks, actually, truth be told. I had to work hard to pursue her. But as soon as I saw her, I thought, I want to get to know her. Who is that girl? Now, while all of this is true, physical appearance should never be the foundational factor in choosing a spouse. One day, I went shopping for a vehicle with one of our, with our, one of our children. They had saved up their own money and they were ready to go out and buy a car. They said, Dad, would you come with me? I want to go uh, buy a, new, uh, a vehicle. And so we went out looking for used cars and we came across uh, this little sports car and my child loved it. They fell in love with it. Now there were some issues that really raised some yellow flags for me and I pointed them out, but it looked fast just sitting there. And it was used, I think it's probably pretty well used truth be told, but it still looked good, still looked shiny and it still looked fast. Well, against my better judgment, I kick myself now, but I let my child buy that car. They drove it home, and before the night was over, that car broke down a couple times. We had to actually have it towed back to the dealer where we got our money back. My child fell in love with how that car looked, causing them to overlook some warning signs. Have you ever done that? Have you ever purchased something that looked really good on the outside, but once you got it home, you realized that it wasn't what it appeared to be. Like a good paint job on a lousy car, a beautiful exterior can distract us from a troubled interior. It's true of sports cars, and it's true of spouses. The Bible puts it bluntly in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 22, when it says, listen to this, this is awkward. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So, physical attraction is important, but be careful. It's something, but it's not the only thing. Not only is physical attraction important, but secondly on your outline, relational attraction is important as well, meaning you should enjoy being with each other. Relational attraction is important, you should enjoy being with each other. On only their third date, the guy was astounded when the girl of his dreams actually accepted his sudden and spontaneous uh, marriage proposal. He said, frankly, I'm a little bit shocked. I didn't think you really liked being with me. And she said, actually, I don't like being with you at all. But the truth is, to keep me happy, you're going to have to be working like 14, 15, 16 hours a day, so we're not going to be seeing a lot of each other anyway. You should not only enjoy looking at each other, you should enjoy being with each other as well. For what it's worth, when it comes to this mutual attraction aspect, I recommend that you apply what I call the 64 principle. Now what's the 64 principle? It's this, will they still have what's attracting you when you're 64? It's based on the Beatles song that I grew up listening to. When I get older, losing my hair, Many years from now, will you still be sending me a valentine, birthday greeting, bottle of wine? If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? And here's the line. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Now, for the younger crowd out there, you might prefer to follow the lead of singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran. 
He adds another six years to the mix in his song entitled Thinking Out Loud. In that song, Ed sings, I'll be loving you till we're 70. So there you go, 64 or 70. The principle is the same. You would be wise to ensure that your source of attraction is more than how they appear. Which brings us to today's big idea. Here it is. It summarizes the teaching today in one simple statement. When it comes to what to look for in your spouse, here it is. Don't just look for a cute partner. Look for your child's parent. Don't just look for a cute partner. Look for your child's parent. I told this to all four of my children as they were growing up and dating. I said, listen, there's a lot of cute people out there, but don't just fall for the most beautiful woman or the, or the most handsome man that you see. Don't just look for a cute partner. I said, realize when you get married, you are choosing your child's parent, meaning you are setting your child up for the rest of their life. That has to be their dad. That has to be their mom. For the rest of their life, you have chosen for them their parent. So don't just look for a cute partner. Look for your child's parent. Let me have a couple quick closing thoughts. These are for free. They're not blanks, but there's some points on your outline. First of all, tell God what you're looking for in a spouse. How else will you know if God brings them into your life unless you tell God, here's what I'm looking for? Secondly, strive to be the kind of person that you yourself are looking for. So don't just sit back and look for, for that perfect person out there. You strive to be the kind of person that someone else would be looking for. Oh, and by the way, thirdly, don't wait for absolute perfection. Absolute perfection doesn't exist. So a spouse is someone you can grow with. But having said that, number four, there's a tension between these two. Number four, while you certainly hope that they will grow or mature and change, don't count on it. In fact, if you see something in them that you couldn't live with, if it never changed, don't marry them. Meaning, hope that they'll change, but don't count on it. If you insist that something change before you can be happy, don't marry them. Unless you can live with them the way they are, don't marry them. Number five, since you're only going to marry someone that you date, why would you date someone that you would never marry? In other words, don't waste time kicking the tires on a car that you know you're never going to buy. Now, as I conclude, let's apply what we've learned to those who are already married. When it comes to appearance, let's face it, gravity wins. No one maintains their youthful glow for the rest of their lives. But that doesn't mean you give up entirely. Are you doing your best to take care of yourself, to maintain your physical appearance as best that you can? Or did you shout, mission accomplished the day you got married and throw your Stairmaster in the garbage? And what about your relationship? Are you doing all that you can to take care of your relationship as well? Working to ensure that you're still keeping it interesting and vibrant? What are you doing to maintain the mutual attraction in your relationship? And what about your character? Are you faithful? Do you tell the truth? Can you still be trusted after all these years? Are you gracious and selfless towards your spouse? Or do they walk on eggshells in your presence? Is your character more or less praiseworthy than the day that you said, I do? By the way, 
We are offering the marriage enrichment course at Broadway Church. We had the largest sign up we've ever had for marriage enrichment course. You can take it online from your own home, or you can take it live at our Vancouver or Port Coquitlam campus. It's not too late to sign up. We've just had the first week. You can still join in. Visit our website, broadwaychurch.com, and scroll down to the marriage enrichment course link and sign up there. Finally, what about your faith? Is it still shared between the two of you, or has one of you become dead weight over the years? Do you share your life in Christ together, or is one of you now experiencing a solo walk? Perhaps you're watching today, and you need to recommit your life to Christ, or maybe make that decision for the very first time. Maybe you've been watching with your spouse online for a while, or you've been attending church for a while with your spouse, but today you're ready to take that next step. Up till now, you've been investigating Christ, but now you're willing to cross that line of faith and make that decision to become a follower of Jesus yourself. If that's true of you, I would be honored to lead you in that prayer right now. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your sovereign presence in my life. You've seen me when I was in my mother's womb to this very moment. You've guided me, you've led me, you've directed me. And I right now acknowledge that I have not always lived the life that you designed for me, that I have been rebellious. But I thank you that you offer me forgiveness through the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so I choose to accept your gift of forgiveness in new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. Now, I know I'm not going to be perfect and sinless from this moment on, but the Bible says if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all the unrighteousness in my life. So I come to you now, thanking you for your patience and your grace and your love and mercy. Fill my life. I give my life to you now. And give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision before my head hits the pillow this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that decision today, on the screen, there's a, a text number. Text that number and a pastor will respond to you, help you take the next step in your journey. Don't worry, we're not trying to trick you. You're not joining Broadway Church. We just want to help you take the next step in your journey. God bless you, folks. Next week, we're continuing in the marriage series when we're going to learn. So what does it take to build a healthy marriage? That's our topic next Sunday here at Broadway Church Online. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today.